0: Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Weedy City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by EJ Snyder, the site's feed draft analyst. EJ, we got a win. How are you feeling?
1: Wins are good, regardless of how they look, and I have an excellent beer this week, so I am just fine. Well, what is it? Uh, it is from a brewery that you enjoy, uh, Founders. Yes. makers of the good old kentucky breakfast stout uh this is their underground mountain brown uh imperial brown ale brewed with sumatra coffee aged in bourbon barrels uh 11.9 by volume and it is a 22 ounce bottle just making some notes for the listeners that that might get a little bit sloppy towards the end but i love browns uh i know you like founders i'm excited to try it
0: and they're from michigan so a little bit of a Shout out to the, to the state that we just beat. So that's nice. Right.
1: you, know, you got to pick up your 100th win in a series somewhere. and Yeah, Lions you provided. picked up on that. Yeah. I did. That was a very nice tweet. Uh,
0: yeah, doing all that history stuff this year. I calculated all the records and have all that. And that's a nice one. I'll, actually, I'll get into the Bears record against the Rams later in the show. But I am also carrying somewhat of a Lions-themed beer. I chose one from firestone walker which i am sure that you are familiar with i am indeed firestone walker has a lion and a bear fighting on their artwork and it's actually really cool artwork i really like it and i chose the mocha merlin which is a coffee and chocolate infused milk stout uh, for this one uh, to celebrate the bears win over the lions I, I also kind of feel like Mocha Merlin would be like a cool nickname for like Eddie Jackson or something like that. Someone who kind of is wizard like, wizard like. So yep. anyway, um, that's that's what I got. Uh, I'm excited for it. Let's open them up.
1: Yeah, let's do this. I get to I get to open this week and hope that it doesn't explode. No, we're good. No explosion. No wasted beer. I get really I feel really guilty about that when it happens
0: yeah well uh that for the listener that happened when we had jonathan wood on the show uh but ej did a nice job of muting himself taking himself out of the conversation and letting jonathan and i talk while he cleaned up his mess uh and then got back into it and then we talked about <laughs> it afterwards so it was a, a pr- professional uh, beer explosion
1: Right, that's well contained. Um, this is incredibly dark. It's got a little bit of ruby color around the edges, but for a brown, it is it is quite dark. Minimal head. Um, oh boy, so you can definitely smell the coffee. I'm I'm interested. So here we go.
0: All right, let's do this. Well, let's let's recap this win. Bears win twenty to thirteen. Started off a little rough. Uh, they got down six to nothing on a couple of field goal drives by the Lions, and they scored a touchdown right before half uh, to make it 7-6. to six. It was an 18-yard pass to Ben Broniker. Came out, got the ball in the second half, marched down the field, scored a touchdown. Uh, that second touchdown was a 9-yard swing pass to Tariq Cohen, made it 13-6. to six. Uh, Eddie Pinero missed the extra point. After a Bears defense turnover, Trubisky hit Taylor Gabriel for a 24-yard strike. I think. That was probably my favorite pass of the game. Uh, made it 20-6. to That was with 9.38 left in the third quarter. Then the offense kind of disappeared. Uh, Jeff Driscoll, the backup quarterback for the Lions, hit Kenny Galladay for a 47-yard touchdown to make it 13-20 with mm, just under six minutes left in the game. I would argue that Kenny Galladay pushed off on Kyle Fuller. Uh, on an uncalled offensive pass interference on Kyle Fuller. Uh, I think we're starting to get used to that. Uh, but that was as close as the Lions would get. They would mount a final drive to get fairly close. But the Bears held on for a 20-13 win. So, Bears improve to 4-5. Uh,
1: are they back in it, EJ? mm. I don't, they're not out of it, but I wouldn't call them back in it because we haven't seen a consistent game out of the Bears. If they play like they did in the second and third quarters of the Lions game, if they play as a balanced team, the defense played very well. um, Didn't have the huge breakdowns that we've seen um, sort of on single drives in previous weeks that have really sunk them. And all of a sudden, the offense came alive. Whatever the switch was in Trubisky, we'll talk about that getting flipped. But we got to see the offense kind of as intended, as Nagy intended. And, you know, that affected the defense as well. When the offense started holding up their end of the game and pushing the Lions down the field, you could see the defense come out and, you know, play with a lead, play charged up. You know, they were like, welcome back, guys. Let's do this as a team. So if they play like that, um, they've certainly got a chance in just about every game they're in because the defense is still very good and when the offense functions even at a sort of minimum or medium functional level they can beat people does it mean they're back in this year mm, they're they're still on prove it status with me I don't have a ton of trust in that that they're going to show up and do that every week but if they do it's going to be fun down the stretch
0: yeah and just to put this into context the Bears currently in the NFC are the 10th Uh, best record, and so they have a few teams that they'd have to crawl over to get really back and close to the hunt. Uh, One of those teams we'll have to talk about here in the second half of the program, but um, it was at least a nice win, and again, we kind of talked about this last week, where if nothing else, like we have opportunities to play our divisional foes, and those are the fans that interact with us the most on our day-to-day lives. I think we all know Packers fans, we all know Vikings fans. Some of us might even know Lions fans, and, you know, we have to interact with these people for, you know, the long seven-month offseason, and if we can win those games, uh, that's that's a pretty big plus going into the offseason regardless, and so nice first step in that direction to, to take out the Lions, and we can kind of talk about the possibilities of what this means for a very unlikely uh, playoff run, uh, but... I think overall it's just a nice victory in a season that hasn't. a lot of things haven't gone right. So I've got a couple takeaways that I wanted to discuss with you. Uh, And the first one, you you alluded to it when you talked uh, just a minute ago, but it seemed like Trubisky and the offense had, I called it, a brief moment where they looked good. And that was right at the end of the first half where they got that touchdown drive. Got the ball back, scored a touchdown, and then scored another touchdown. So right rapid succession, they were able to pour on three touchdowns. They didn't look very good before that. And they really didn't look very good after that. But for this brief moment, it seemed like Nagy got the got the uh, uh, the engine running. So what happened? And how can we make sure that happens again? Uh,
1: I think the first part of that question is a lot easier to answer than the second part of the question. Bears fans, Bears Twitters, the media have been you know, sort of begging to answer that. The second part of that question all season is how do we get that consistency? How do we get that performance week in and week out? In terms of what happened, um, it, the offense didn't change that much. What happened in my mind is – Trubisky's switch got flipped and people say, well, what's the switch, how do you flip it? And you know, if I knew I could bottle it and sell it, I don't, but he's been so incredibly Jekyll and Hyde this season that the difference was incredibly stark. When he started hitting throws, all of a sudden the defense has to react wait he's hitting deep throws he's hitting accurate cross patterns across the middle and you started to see you know more play action which is nice we've been begging for that it had a definite effect Montgomery was able to run for five six seven yards at a pop because again they had to drop back and respect the pass and if they didn't if they crowded the line he burned him And he hasn't been able to do that all year and then capped off, like you said, at the very tail end of the the first half. The the most of the first half looked exactly like kind of the first half of the season. Wasn't very good. But that drive, all of a sudden, you know, whatever you want to call it, good Trubisky – you know, Dr. Jekyll, whatever it is, it's it's the good the good Mitch. Good Mitch showed up and it really showed up like he warmed up throughout that drive. And when he threw that fade to Broniker, that's a high degree of difficulty throw. And he looked so relaxed throwing it. Right. He looked like right. he was at training camp again. He steps back, sets his feet at a little bit of a cocked angle, and just flipped that ball and it was perfect perfectly placed for bronicker to catch it Broniker makes a very good play on the ball he's you know draped in coverage but the defender never had a shot at it that was a you know as long as Broniker caught it that was a sure touchdown and it looked so easy and that's in such stark contrast to the way Mitch has looked most of the season which is rushed hurried out of sorts off balance uh off pace uh mechanically let's just call it inept uh, it just it's like two different guys, right? If you, if you put the film of one guy next to the other guy, you wouldn't say that it occurred in the same game, but it did. So Mitch's switch got flipped. The plays got called. There was a nice balance between run and pass. Play action got feathered in there, and all of a sudden, like you said, it felt like the engine got started, and all of a sudden the Bears just ran. And when they did, they, they ran the lines off the field. There was just no competition.
0: Yeah, he looked very relaxed on that throw. I actually, that's exactly the word that I was thinking, uh, and it was pretty impressive, in my opinion. Uh, that throw just in and of itself was, I you know, that's what you pay the price of admission for—is to watch uh, professional athletes make those kind of throws. And yeah, he had all the time in the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of part of the the point of of pass protection. But yeah, he looked really good, and I, I made this point. I kind of want to run it by you, but I made this point on the live stream with uh, Sam and Steven uh, before the game, which is pretty fun. You guys should check it out. Uh, its uh, I didn't know they recorded it, so uh, I may have said some things that I didn't want recorded. <laughs> Will later
1: but, regret, yes? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, you know,
0: just riffing on some stuff. But, but I, I brought up the idea that this offense needs to uh, pitch backwards. And for those of you that like baseball, uh, you normally a pitcher is going to throw like a a, fa- a fastball. Pitcher is going to throw his fastball to set up his off-speed stuff to try to as your as an out pitch. And pitching backwards when a guy doesn't have an overwhelming fastball, and he'll throw his off-speed stuff for strikes, and then try to uh, throw the the fastball by you because you're used to looking for the looking for the uh, the off-speed stuff. And so I, I kind of felt like Nagy had to pitch backwards a little bit because the defenses that the Bears have played lately have been so up on the line trying to stop the run and trying to take away Mitch's quick first reads that it almost felt like they would benefit from just running play action and opening up that over the top the the intermediary throws over the top and in a way just pitching backwards to open up the run game so one of those like pass to open up the run and it, it felt like they maybe didn't get to the run part of it, but they the pass was there. Like Those passes were there uh, that the defense wasn't expecting them to go to those intermediate routes, and it worked. And so I, I think Nagy has to do more of that. He has to call. I don't know if it's Nagy calling those plays or more Mitch trusting himself and throwing those intermediate routes more, but um, that's, I think, where they need to attack right now first and that everything else hopefully will open up from that.
1: Yeah, I agree in a way. And it is both like Nagy has to call a pretty good game. And he did. And there have certainly been times when Nagy called a very solid game this year, and it just didn't get executed. So the end result is the same. There are times that Mitch has, well, very few times when Mitch has actually been executing and Nagy called a lousy game and it doesn't work that way. And then there's a lot of times, quite frankly, where Nagy hasn't called a great game and Mitch isn't executing and it's just, we've seen what we've seen, which is just punt, 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 punt. And so it was very nice to see all the cylinders fire, to see Nagy call a nice balance of crossing routes, um, intermediate downfield throws. Uh, play action, runs to Montgomery, actual handoffs to Montgomery to take advantage of that and pick up those chunk yardage when they started to drop back and take the throws. It just felt like he had the right calls at the right time to keep them off balance, and there were a lot of good gains right in a row. And it was a bit startling, because we haven't seen it all year. And it was like, what is this? Why is it working all of a sudden? And it's in concert, right? He's calling a decent game, and Mitch is hitting those throws, because if Mitch doesn't hit the throws, we're right back to where we've been. So cool to see it all work. Um, cool to see the sort of plan come to fruition and, and yards get gained and touchdowns get made instead of field goals and trying to scrape by on a great defensive effort instead, putting real pressure on the other team by saying, Hey, we scored a touchdown. What are you going to do? And by the way, we have a very good defense that's going to come after you. So, um, nice to see it all work in concert and those crossing routes, you brought those up. It's, it came into contrast for me watching, uh, the Monday night game. And Seattle's defense uh, really showed up against the 49ers. They they were a huge, huge factor in Seattle winning that game. But one thing they cannot do to save their life right now is defend a crossing route. Like, that is their kryptonite. They just cannot keep with crossing routes. And I don't know if it's technique, positioning, um, skill of the players involved they just cannot defend that cross and um, luckily for them Garoppolo couldn't hit them but it reminded me of how much the Bears sort of needed to do that early in the season and didn't and then when we started to see limited success it was really based on a couple of those crossing routes in game three and game four as they built on that so I would like to see them continue to push that area of the field because it's really going to help them.
0: Yeah, they definitely have the athletes to take advantage of that. We've talked about that before, but certainly they have the players at wide receiver to uh, take advantage of those crossing routes and those intermediate routes. So, um, I Flip to the other side, and Jeff Driscoll, backup quarterback of Bengals fame, went out with the Lions, and I I think he was a little bit more. Apparently he just likes big cats. Potentially, (laughs) yes. So I, I think he was a little more athletic than I thought he would be. I, you know, I heard, oh, he's, on, he's pretty athletic, pretty fast. I was like, okay, we'll see. But I, actually, he he showed a little juice, and I thought he had his moments. I, I, clearly, he's a backup quarterback. he's He wasn't the most accurate in the world. But, you know, he had his moments against this defense, and it kind of made me wonder about a schedule down the road. So you've got Dak uh, Prescott, who's playing incredibly well at in Dallas right now. Obviously, you've got Patrick Mahomes still on the schedule. Uh, and, of course, you've got mr aaron Rodgers, who still a pretty athletic quarterback uh did you see anything from the athletic driscoll that makes you worried about facing a guy who's a more competent passer but has that athleticism down the road
1: um it will hurt Uh, If you get into a guy, like you said, like Dak is playing at a a higher level, certainly than Jeff Driscoll, but a fairly similar athlete. And I know some people will balk at that, but Driscoll's an incredibly good athlete. He tested very, very well. He ran quite a bit in college. Uh, He had an interesting college career. He bounced around quite a bit. Um, But coming out as a senior, I really thought that, or fifth year senior, I thought that he really had a lot of potential because um, much like Mitch, he's got. Uh, legs and he can use them, and he's not afraid to. Problem with him is he's streaky in the pass. Um, when he's hitting, he looks really good, but when he misses, he misses pretty badly. And he kind of reminds me, and I know this won't make people necessarily a fan of him, uh, but of a more athletic uh, Chase Daniel. Like, you know, when Chase Daniel decides to run, he's not going to get more than a yard or two. Jeff Driscoll can pick up six or seven because he's athletic like that if he had some consistency, he'd be more dangerous. And that's kind of the description in a nutshell of Dak is a guy that is more consistent on those short to medium throws. Doesn't miss as many of them and can still really make you pay when he takes off athletic rusher, well-built um, can take a few hits. So he's not going to be afraid to leave the pocket. Um, yeah. Dak's going to, He's absolutely going to be more of a challenge uh, for the Bears, and they are going to have to sort of shade a guy to account for him. They're not going to be able to leave that 15-yard gap in the middle of the field because if they do, at least two or three times a game, Dak's going to take advantage of that. And again, on the Monday night game, I don't know if you watched it, but that that was the winning play was Russell Wilson going, oh, you're going to leave me like 18 and a half mm. yards up the middle of the field. I'm absolutely going to take off and get every yard I can to get our kicker closer and did. And they ended up winning that game. It's the same thing with Dak. He's going to see that not every play. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he's going to see that a couple times a game. And if you don't fill that middle slot with a floater, which is uh, this is a concern with Trevathan out, right? They they can't exactly right. spy him, but they can't leave a 20-yard alley in the middle of the field if they do and the defensive line loses contain, he's he's got a free first down and more.
0: Yeah, and probably the best thing going on Twitter right now is the Dak warm-up where he's all he's doing is just kind of flipping his oh, hair and then do people you? set music to it. Uh
1: yeah, is that your new uh, well, workout I, routine?
0: I, I mean, I think I might throw out my back if I was doing that that routine, but uh, it is one of the funnier things oh, as man. to I I mean there's been a few of those like this person dances too, and then they they play a song, and you know it's funny. Right. I don't know why, but this one just kind of chuckled because a couple of the songs that people have put on there really do look like he's he's doing dance moves to it. Uh, so it's it's pretty great. So check that out, yeah. Dak dancing. All right, well we'll 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 save more Dak talk for when the Bears play the Cowboys. But I just it came to mind where I was like, ah, if we play a a quarterback that actually can throw the ball uh, with consistency. I'm, I'm a little worried about what this athletic quarterback can do to this defense, and I'm not quite sure exactly what was lacking there. But we'll get to that a little bit later. We don't, uh, we don't have to worry about athletic quarterback this week. So um, one note that came up on the broadcast that I did not realize, uh, and I wanted to bring it up, the Bears are leading the league in dropped passes. They are tied for first with the Browns and the Colts, 15. So in a year where Trubisky's clearly not, I mean, he's just not playing well at all. To compound that with 15 dropped passes is a tough beat.
1: I was really surprised when you brought that up. Um, Again, I watched this game at my local watering hole uh, because they have Sunday ticket and it was not the uh, premier game playing, so I didn't get the sound. So I didn't hear that stat. And it's shocking to me in a year when they're not passing that much. I mean, we've certainly had games where they passed too much, let's be honest. But overall, it doesn't feel like they're throwing all that often because, look, they're not sustaining a ton of drives. That just makes less offensive plays overall. It feels like the Bears might have and I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I can't say this is true, feels like they might have the least passing attempts of all three of those teams and have still matched them in drops. That seems to be a shocking stat to me.
0: Yeah, I was a little surprised, too, when I heard it, and so I had to, I, I wrote it down on our agenda, and then you questioned it, and so I was like, all right, well, I guess I better look this up because I better make sure I'm not giving us bad information. Well,
1: we sound stupid. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly, but no, I looked it up, and, and it's, it's legit, and I imagine that the Browns have passed – more than the Bears. The Colts, uh, that might be close. They're pretty, they're a pretty balanced offense. But uh, yeah, I mean, they have more drop passes than the Dolphins. Than the, I mean, obviously, every other team in the league that is where we're going yeah. here. But it's crazy. You know, it's uh, yeah, the Bengals have 10 drop passes. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's one of those random stats. And we're not, I'm not picking on the Bears purposely for this. But again, this is something that that's an issue with a receiving core that's got a lot of talent and so it's yeah we
1: saw Robinson with more drop passes this last week and that was a bit concerning because he's been a vacuum all year he's caught anything and everything that's come near him last week we saw a couple that he put on the ground that maybe he could have had they were a little bit more questionable this week we saw two or three Feels like that he dropped, and that was, to me, very surprising. I was like, oh, who dropped that? And he stands up, and it's 12, and I'm like, oh, really? That doesn't – you know, that surprises me because he's been catching everything since camp. And I don't know why that was. Maybe it's just an off day, but I was I was very surprised to see him have any drops at all because he's just been so crazy consistent catching the football.
0: Yeah. It, anyway, it's something to keep an eye on. Just, just look for it and see – uh, how the rest of the year pans out for these guys, I don't know if it's a concentration thing or, or what, but uh, that's something that needs to get figured out. And the last note that I had, a guy who's not unfamiliar with drops, uh, Adam Shaheen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam Shaheen uh, was nicely done. Nicely dropped done. from the uh, active lineup, and he was an, an inactive this week. And Nagy's post game. Comments about it I felt were a little bit vague. It was, you know, we're gonna put the
1: team decision.
0: The yeah, you know, it's just it's very. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know that kind of thing. Uh, I, you know, they're they're mixing some stuff up. Uh, obviously, this was uh, the week that they moved Cody Whitehair back to center. You know, flipped Daniels and and uh, and Whitehair back. Uh, we saw a lot. Of terrible snaps from Whitehair, which was his problem as a as a shotgun snapper uh, in the past, and that reared its ugly head once
1: again. But okay. I know, have to ask you about that. Yeah, I yeah, a, I, just, I have an interjection. No, as okay. a as a former offensive lineman, I'm going to ask you because I hadn't thought of this. Because I put it out there and I said, so basically, we need to put Daniel's snaps with Whitehair's brain. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they put him back for the calls, not for the snaps. They put him back knowing that a few of those snaps were going to go haywire. Nagy said as much in his in his Monday presser. Um, so here's the thing, and you've played the position and I haven't, so I'm going to ask you, is it possible for the guard to make the calls?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I, – well, I, I feel like uh... – I mean, I played, you know, high school football, so whatever. Sure, but, but well, it, whatever. I, I felt like I, you know, I, it was my responsibility to know the tackles' job and the center's job, and the other guard would need to know the other tackle's job, right? So, And yeah. in, in our lineup, we it just happened to be that the guys that were uh, the most like football intelligent happened to be the guards, and so it kind of worked that way for us. But I don't know that that's normal. I think that, you know, that's what the center's job, center uh, calls the protections. And I I think in it...
1: Yeah, that's always been the thing, right, is I just didn't even think about it. Because it's always the center's job, right? The center calls the protections. The center calls the sets. The center makes the adjustments. Um, On certain certain teams, that guy's got, um, you know, half as much power as the quarterback does to to change set, change protection, um, change angle, all that stuff. And and I just thought, huh, what if you could leave Daniels at center where he seems to have been very consistent snapping the ball, but apparently they're interested in white hair making calls. What if you could leave him at guard and have him do it? Like, is that even possible? It had never crossed my mind, and somebody brought it up. And I think it was Lester, actually, that brought it up on Twitter. He said, well, couldn't he have done that from the guard spot? And I was like, I'd never even thought of that because I've never heard of a guard making the calls.
0: So no, I think that part of the the comfort level of keeping or of making the switch at the beginning of the year was that Kyle Long was at right guard. Sure. And when you when you lose Kyle and you bring in an inexperienced guard and you have him next to an inexperienced center. Yep and you have an inexperienced quarterback who sounds like he's probably not making the right protection calls or not comfortable with picking all of that up yet, that that is kind of a recipe for disaster. So you put a veteran back in between those younger guys or those inexperienced guys at guard, and that's where you're, you're hedging your bets. And like you said, you feel comfortable with some of the bad snaps that you know you're going to get. And that's what I've been saying all about all off season and leading up to this season is that White hair to me, seems like a natural guard. He looks more like a guard. And then just the fact that he doesn't snap well, I, I mean, I couldn't do it either. Like, to me, guard always felt right. And when I played center, it always just felt weird, and I was worried I was going to mess up the snap. And so, to me, he just... He should be a guard. And so, that is, and that's not permanent, in my opinion. I don't think that this this arrangement is permanent. I think Whitehair goes back to guard eventually, but they've they've got a problem, and I think it involves Trubisky and not being able to make the right calls. So you had a veteran quarterback in there that could come up and set the protections, you would keep Daniels there. But I, I do think it's... It's kind of a everything's not going well situation. It did
1: seem like the run blocking was a little bit better. Um, Again, I haven't gone back and done the deep dive in the All-22, but um, there were definitely some big holes there for Montgomery that didn't seem. Now, he got stuffed a couple times for sure, but in general, it didn't seem like there were the jailbreaks up the middle that we've seen occasionally in pass protection, and the run protection seemed you know, the run blocking seemed um, generally a little bit improved. There were there were some good strong runs of six or seven yards, you know, between the tackles. So I wasn't terribly upset with the switch. A lot of people asked me what I thought of it overall. And I was like, hey, run blocking was mm, as good or better. And pass blocking seemed about the same. The downside is, yeah, there were two or three snaps that were not good. One of them was low enough that it really did throw off the play. Um, the other one's Mitch. You know, he's athletic enough. He seemed to recover. It's not great, but it wasn't a killer. So, overall, maybe a slight plus in the switch, but um, I just wanted to ask you about that because I I had never even considered the guard making the protection calls, and I was like, is it even possible, or do you need to be sort of out at that pinnacle position and be able to see both ways? Or I mean, is there something technically in the position? I didn't know, so I figured I'd ask. But back to Shaheen. Oh man. And the tight end situation in general, like I'm going to throw something out there. It's not a take. It's just a what if like um, Burton hasn't given the bears a lot this year. Um, He struggled with injury. He's was never going to be a great blocker, but even in the passing game. He's not clearly open. Um, He hasn't been producing big plays. I can't think of a single big play that he's produced. He's made some receptions for sure, made some first downs, and that's, that's a key role. But what if, if he's not right, they put Burton on IR, they give Holt some more opportunities at tight end because he's played quite well there. Um, and you elevate a guy like Jasper Horstead in that receiving role and just see what he can do. Because at this point, what are you going to lose? The blocking doesn't go down. And if you know if Burton's still struggling with an injury, why would you not sort of shut him down and then you know feature Broniker and Horstead a little bit more in the passing game and let Holtz do the blocking.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I think that's where I was going with this, was we're starting to see a little bit of uh, acknowledgement that the original crew that the Bears were rolling out there, or their original alignments, yeah, hey, it's not working, so let's mix it up. You know, there's no need to have Adam Shaheen take away snaps from someone else who might give us some juice, and... I mean, I you know they, they made the they made the call to uh, Ryan Pace made the call to cut Mike Davis, which puts us in a good position to get that fourth round uh, comp pick. We talked about that being malpractice if Ryan Pace did not do that on last week's show. He did that, so that's good. Uh, not great for Mike Davis, but he caught on to another team who's you know, in the playoff hunt, so, you know, good for Mike Davis. We wish him well, but, uh, you know, and they activated Ryan Nall to the roster, and he actually was active, and he, I think he made a special teams tackle, right? And so why not give these guys a, a chance and see what you got? And that's what we wanted to see, and it looks like that's what they're doing here.
1: Yeah, you want to know the ugliest tweet? Well, not the ugly. It's been an ugly week on Twitter. We'll talk about that after the break, but um, one of the ugliest tweets I saw this week about uh uh bears pass catchers what was it lifetime pass receptions between uh two of our all-time favorites adam shaheen and kevin white yeah 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 this was sam (laughs) yeah it was sam (laughs) it totally was sam sam you're responsible for this um Yeah, it's way closer than you think it should be, uh, and it's not good. And Shaheen, I guess my point in bringing that up is Shaheen has done everything possible to earn a spot on the inactive roster and, quite frankly, off the roster, in my opinion. He just has never come around. If I I thought about this, uh, these are the kind of odd things that I think about in down moments is if you had to pick a movie – to represent adam shaheen's bear career what would it be and mine (laughs) okay i'm ready is is failure to launch okay all right fair enough just hasn't ever gotten going there was never like the adam shaheen game where we all went see see that's what he can do that's that's baby gronk right there like all that garbage that when he was picked like I really didn't like the Shaheen pick at the time this is not you know a, a favorable turn of history this is I was really surprised that Ryan Pace in my mind reached early for need and went after a guy that was as raw as Adam Shaheen was now if he develops he looks like a genius and I get it that that's exactly how the draft works and you bet on athletic potential but it seemed like a bridge too far it seemed like too much of a reach too big of a bet for my taste and it hasn't worked out. And that's not to say, ha ha I'm right. That's not, that's me saying I'm bummed that the bears spent a second round pick on somebody that turned out to be professionally at least a nothing. Like he's contributed zero to the bears since he's been drafted. There's, you know, 14, 15 total receptions, whatever it is. It's terrible. And That doesn't make me happy. I'm not dancing on his grave. I'm just saying, why keep trotting him out there? He's not giving you anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to think about the movie to describe Adam Shaheen's career because this is a good question. So uh, give me a day or two, and when we release this to the public, maybe I'll tweet out my answer. Fair enough. But feel free, feel free, listeners, to uh, oh yeah, tweet join out in. This you're... is
1: good fun. If we're gonna <laughs> if we're gonna leverage Adam Shaheen's bear tenure, this is exactly how we're gonna do it.
0: Oh my god. Okay. All right. So that's a good time for a break, and on the other side of it, uh, we'll uh, get into the Rams and some other stuff. All right, EJ, we're back. I uh, was thinking about one of the topics we want to talk about before we got into the Rams game was the current state of Bears Twitter. And with you talking about movies, uh, movie title—I don't know. Right now, it feels like maybe we're in Mean Girls, something like that. I don't know. It feels like the state of Bears Twitter has just kind of gone into. Can I? Everybody's angry. Can I go farther you know? and
1: darker? Can I do that? Go for apocalypse it. now. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that's just yeah. love
1: the smell of napalm in the morning. I mean, that's what it feels like. And the reason this comes up and we talked about this before the show is I tweeted out one thing, exactly one tweet uh, on the Monday night game. So every once in a while when you're spending this much time on football and and podcasts and prep and posting and answering comments and all that stuff, it's really cool to just watch a game as a fan. And I didn't have any skin in the game for Seahawks 49ers. Yes, I live in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I follow the Seahawks, but I don't care if they miss the kick and lose the game. It's it's not my thing. The Bears are my team, right? I get it. So I just went and watched at a bar as a fan. And, yeah, I was full of Seahawks fans, and that was fine. But the only thing I tweeted out was this exact tweet. And listen to it very carefully. I'll read it verbatim. It says, just because I want to see the world burn, colon, Can you imagine if Trubisky just threw the pick that Russell Wilson did? It'd be pitchforks and torches time, period. Now, I tweeted that out right after Wilson threw a devastating pick. They were on about the 25-yard line of of the San Francisco 49ers. If they had just run the ball, set their kicker up where he wanted to, he'd had a very good night. He eventually ended up winning the game. He kicks the kick. They put it through the uprights. That's it. They take out a huge divisional win on the road that they kind of necessarily shouldn't have had. They walk out of there, the happiest team uh, in the NFC West, and everything is golden. But instead, look, the Seahawks are prone to a little bit of hubris. They thought they were going to have their way with the 49ers. And, you know, the linebacker makes a very good play, but Russell Wilson throws a terrible pick right before they set up for the play. I said to the person next to me, what are you doing? Like, I was like, I was fully aware they were going to pass, and I'm like, why? And sure enough, it turns into an interception, and, you know, there you go. So I tweet that out, not to say, well, two things about Twitter. One is anything you tweet out is a take, and I disagree with this. If I tweet out a tweet that says, what if the sky was green, that's not a take. That's a question. That's a what if. And this was exactly the same thing. What if Trubisky throws that? And it really was a state of Bears Twitter, um, Chicago media. Like, what would happen to Trubisky if, with the game on the line and a field goal in reach, he threw that pick? Like, he would be devastated. He would be tarred and feathered at this point, I think, because it's become that toxic. And the second thing about Twitter right now is you cannot put two names in a tweet without people thinking that you are comparing those two people directly. So I got a ton of, don't you understand that Russell Wilson's a better quarterback? (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I think Russell Wilson is probably the MVP of the league right now. He is probably the quarterback playing the best. He had a ridiculous touchdown to interception ratio. Thank you for all the Twitter users who reminded me of that. Yeah, I got it. Russell Wilson is great, probably the best quarterback in the game right now. Trubisky, on the other hand, arguably, measurably, almost the worst. 31st, 32nd, somewhere around there. So, yeah, I got that. I got a difference. I didn't say that Russell Wilson deserves some slack, or that Trubisky doesn't, or that Russell is getting an unfairly easy ride, or that Mitchell is anywhere near as good as Trubisky. But I got accused of all those things from from, you know, uh, readers on Twitter. Um, I got called some very nasty names, which was also fun. Thank you for that. And I also got, you know, don't you know anything bad take AJ? Um, okay. Oh yeah. I was like, A, it's not a take B I'm not AJ, but great, great tweet. Nice, nice work. So it's not a take. It's a, what if imagine if this has happened But people can't think that if you put something on Twitter that is A, not a take, and B, that you're not directly comparing two people who are obviously quite different. (laughs) Somebody said it's like comparing apples to Russell Wilson. I was like, I was like, well, yeah, but I wasn't comparing anything to Russell Wilson. I really wasn't. I was just saying, can you imagine if that in that spot, trubisky through that pick and he would be vilified crucified whatever um so yeah that's kind of the state of bears twitter right now can't even throw something out there about hey think about this without people going you're a moron and calling you all kinds of nasty epithets
0: well this year i've been called uh the biggest homer ever Mm -hmm. i've i've been called a hater of trubisky yeah um uh I've was called Which may be one in the same
1: <laughs> this year. Rural, apparently. Yeah. Uh
0: I've been called um someone who uses a nerd stat, which guilty as charged. Uh <laughs> I, <laughs> um you know, I you know, it's like it's 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 just very polarizing right now.
1: Did and, did they put anything in there about needing a spoon to to no. consume your favorite beers no uh no, okay that cool nice. that one's still open for me that one's mine and i no got it i'm gonna trademark that
0: no one's called me something that's not my name yet and so that's fun uh I, well you're behind you're there, backstreet boy calling you aj um,
1: yeah i was like i'm not aj green i'm not not actually aj so cool and i'm good with typos but um yeah the other the epitaphs were not typos no that's and, not cool um yeah, and again, two weeks ago, and it's, uh, I think it has something to do with 3,000. Right about the time that I hit 3,000 followers, I started to get uh, a pretty steady, small percentage of, you know, you're a loser. Two weeks ago, uh, and I shared this with you, I got my first just die. And I was like, wow, that's uh, that's extreme. Like, you're in a bad place. That's okay, but uh, I thought that was a bit much. This uh, week, someone chose me to, chose to call me something else about this Russell Wilson tweet, but I just sat back. I, I was pretty disciplined. I didn't reply to it at all, and uh, one Twitter user, who I will not credit correctly because I don't have it up right now, said, wow, people really missed the point on this one, blah, blah, blah. And I, I liked that tweet because... Yeah, they kind of did. The point was: Can you imagine if Trubisky did this? Period. Not Trubisky as Russell Wilson or vice versa. Anything else?
0: Yeah, I think the point that we're trying to drive home is that if you guys are on Twitter and if you guys are active, like you, you, I think you see this and you get this. You know, we're still trying to be active to work through this season, but you know, it's 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 not a lot of fun when you can't have that open environment to have good football conversation and that's kind of what twitter is at its best is that it's a forum to interact with people that have a similar interest and are willing to engage in this topic and i think we're getting a little bit emotional a little bit too emotional as a a, a collective unit right now and maybe we uh don't call each other names so i'm just kind of putting that out there
1: Um, did you see the thing from that i posted like last week from ichiro the baseball player
0: Oh, as opposed to Ichiro, the concert pianist? Yeah. Not, yes, I, that guy. Okay. Well, I, bet right. well, I, I bet he could. I bet he could. Probably could. could. So I'll take sure. that back. Yeah.
1: right No. Uh, there's a quote from Ichiro, and it was, there's not a lot of difference between love and hate. And that kind of, to me, feels like where Bear's Twitter is right now. There's a lot of passion, and passion is just sort of an undefined energy towards something and if things are going well, it's love. And if things are going poorly, it's hate. And he's right. There's there's a very fine line and not much difference between loving something dearly and hating something deeply. And we've seen a ton of that with Bears Twitter lately, where people are emotional about it, people get it, but we've we've seen this with multiple sort of Bears Twitter commentators who have quote unquote broken over the last you know, 2 or 3 weeks who have just said, bag it, I'm off, forget it, they suck bro, like and just let go. And I get it. Like it's a lot of passion, it's a lot of time, and when it doesn't go the way you want to, sometimes the results aren't pretty and that's where we are.
0: Let me make one more point and we'll move on to the Rams. So, sure. one of the things I've been seeing a lot is defending, booing the team at home. And oh, yeah. here's my thing. Oh, okay. So look we're americans you have the freedom of speech if you want to boo i'm not saying you don't have the right to do that like that is your right as a human person in this country to do that what i'm saying is i think it's stupid i think it's stupid to boo your own team you might be upset with them but i don't think that you should go to the ballpark and boo them it just doesn't seem right i think that that would really upset me if i was a player Because a lot of these guys are trying very hard, and I don't think that it does any good for you to boo them. The defense that I'm seeing is that I paid a lot of money for these tickets. Therefore, that gives me the right. Whatever. Here's the thing. No. Yeah, that's an entitlement argument. If someone gave you those tickets, would you then sit on your hands and say, well, I got these tickets for free? It's so not. The I reason. can't boot. We all no, it has that. nothing to do with the money. Okay, so yeah. let's just and, stow that argument. It has and the other to do thing is
1: money. people really swinging for the fences about things that don't matter. So maybe we should institute a, like, Bears tweet of the week. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe we could pick a positive one every now and again. Mm-hmm. But right now, that's not really the thing. The one I saw last week was, and I quote, Ryan Pace should be fired if he doesn't cut Mike Davis. (laughs) Now, I get it. That's an emotional reaction. We talked about it being malpractice, so maybe we're contributing to this culture, but – I don't think any of us actually believe that when you go back and look at the roster pre-Ryan Pace and post-Ryan Pace, what he's been able to pull off with his limited resources. Now, does he miss in the draft? Yes. Everyone misses in the draft. Let's be clear about that. A 30 to 40% hit rate is really good in the draft, and Ryan Pace has been better than that and exceptionally better than that in rounds like 3, 4, and 5. So right. the idea that you would fire a guy because he doesn't cut a guy that might get you a comp pick that is a fourth <laughs> means he's either a victim of his own success because he's done so well with fourth round picks that you think that is the gold standard and you're going to get your next franchise quarterback because he's Ryan Pays, which is a sort of <laughs> catch 22. He's never getting out of that time loop. You know, But it's like, really? You're going to fire a guy that's rebuilt the franchise from ashes because he doesn't go for a possible fourth-round comp pick? Okay, I get it. Overreaction's a thing. Hyperbole's a thing. But let's all just take a breath, step back, and realize, hey, the franchise is an okay spot. The franchise quarterback thing is not in an okay spot. And if we fix that, a lot of things will look a lot better.
0: What we're saying is, Bears Twitter is a tough scene right now, but stick with us, okay guys, stick with us. All right, so let's get into this, we went a little over what we were planning on for that, but uh, Bears travel to LA, they play the Rams, they are the Bears, 53-35-3 against the Rams all time. They've played the Rams a lot, the Rams are an old franchise, uh, they were in the same division for a number of years, so they would play twice a year, and so... Uh, They've just played a lot. That's a pretty good winning record against the Rams. Uh, the Rams come into this one 5-4 on the year. They are 2-2 two two at home, uh, which I was a little surprised about because uh, Goff has shown a pretty big split in his, how good he is on the road and at home. But they're coming off a loss at Pittsburgh, 17-12, so they lost to that. Uh, suddenly very good uh, Pittsburgh defense. And, thank you Minka. Uh, their backup quarterback <laughs> yeah no kidding that guy's going crazy uh the Rams on the early lines we're recording this Tuesday night uh as of this morning they are seven point favorites against the Bears which feels high wow but yeah it uh, you know hey okay
1: I think, I'm not even a betting guy and that feels high it feels high uh
0: the Rams are a weird team um just overall uh I it, to me it looks like golf might be broken at this point. Uh, maybe it's the scheme. You know, they're having some similar issues uh, to the Bears. It's a little bit, <laughs> they, they've certainly been much more successful uh, offensively. So let me backtrack that up a little bit. But Goff just doesn't look like he's worth the contract that, they, that he signed in the offseason. Uh, they do have a lot of injuries coming into this one. They're going to miss a few key players. And so uh, this it sets up as an interesting conversation for the bears to, to come into la and potentially try to steal a win from a team that looks like they might be struggling a
1: little bit you have any big picture thoughts about the rams i think it's an interesting sort of nexus that the nfl season provides us and that is that if you'd looked at this game uh preseason like we did in our sort of predictions episode you would have said "Mm, Rams are going to be a really tough out Uh, if the Bears get a win they're really really lucky and you know it's on the road and uh, it's probably a loss right I'm going to pencil that in as even or a loss going in even when we were excited about what Trubisky was going to bring and progression and all that and here we are uh, sort of roller coaster ride later with has the solution for Goff been offered league-wide? And the answer is, right now, kind of yeah. Like, there's a pretty good plan on how to defend Jared Goff, and, and McVeigh hasn't figured out how to insulate or protect him from that. Sort of the 2.0 version. Everybody's made their adjustment, largely based on what the Bears did to him last year. Um, but anyways... And all of a sudden, there's a little spark of life in the Lions game from the Bears, and they might have an offense. And suddenly, this game looks a whole lot more even than it did preseason, right? Rams on the road, McVeigh, Goff. Oh, McVay's a genius, plus Aaron Donald. Tons of tons of talent in the secondary, some of which has been now traded away. And all of a sudden, the NFL season has a very interesting way of making this level, and that's why seven points to me feels high, right? given the current state of the NFL, which changes every week, which is kind of cool. Right.
0: So I, I I completely agree with what you're saying, and one of the things we said at the top was that the Bears are going to have to climb over a few teams to get into a playoff position, and this is the first one that they can actually do that to. To say that, for those of you that are staunchly in the camp of this is still a playoff team, this is, every game's going to be a must-win. This is absolutely have to win this, because this puts the Bears at 5-5 five and five and the Rams at 5-5, five and five and you'd have the tiebreaker over the Rams. So that's what, I mean, that is just, you have to win this game, okay? And you climb over one mm-hmm. team if you do that, great. Maybe you climb over another based on what the rest of the league does, but this is absolutely what has to happen. So I got three keys to this game. I'll read them, read through them, and you can comment on them as we go along. Um, I think they're certainly the keys that we've talked about before that involve Daei and Trubisky. But I, I, I'm picking some other things. But the first thing is have a plan for Aaron Donald because the interior of the offensive line uh, for the Bears have been in, has been in flux and they've struggled a little bit with pass protection and you yeah. know run game. Aaron Donald still looks like the best defensive player in the league. So they absolutely have to come in with a real plan for how they're going to defend Aaron Donald if this offense expects to do anything in the positive direction.
1: I would agree, but I would also say that um, we have a very local um, analog for Aaron Donald in Khalil Mack. So whereas preseason, it would have felt like have a plan for Aaron Donald was a duh statement and no, it's not possible. Um, The same thing would have been true for Mac, like have a plan for Khalil Mack. Well, the plan for Khalil Mack, quite frankly, for the last three, three and a half weeks has worked pretty well. He hasn't looked at all like the player he was in the first three or four games and Aaron Donald somewhat mirrors that he is not having that game wrecker season that he had last year or the year before and yeah teams do have a plan for him and it does mean selling out a bit yeah you're gonna have to put two guys on him pretty much every play and sometimes three to chip him uh but that's tends to be working like donald's stats this year are not great Mac's stats have tailed off significantly since the first three or four games. So it feels kind of like the the league has gotten a plan for these guys. It does require a very specific sort of discipline, but it doesn't seem impossible. Okay. All right. Well, I like your
0: confidence. Uh, my second key, <laughs> I think he's still really good. Uh, stats,
1: He's stats tremendously good, and so is might, Mac. But, but he's
0: also there he's you go. four and a half sacks in the last four games. So he's he's mm. come on a little bit, um,
1: and yep. No, he's gonna get his, and Mac is gonna get his too. But it's it, are they gonna get enough to single handedly turn the game? And the answer is
0: well, with uh, the not of lately. Of number ten, I'm I'm not I'm so sure. But okay, all right, let's let's move on to my second one. Right, we'll, we'll, we'll yep. We'll move let's on. do that because um, <laughs> it also involves because it 10. involves <laughs> number ten. So Mitchell Trubisky has to be better than Jared Goff in this game. Just quite simple. I know they don't play against each other at the same time, but I think that Mitch is going to have to outplay Goff. Now, that might be, as some of our internal Slack chat, you know, group email stuff on Mini City uh, has been feeling very negative this week too, Uh, maybe that's Mitch has to play less bad than Goff. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that if the Bears want to win this game, Trubisky has to have a better game than Jared Goff. Just plain and simple, he needs to bring it, he needs the game out here, and he needs to just put up better better numbers.
1: Honestly, if I, I think if he has the game he had against the Lions or similar, and that is um, at very base sort of produces three positive touchdown drives that feel eh, somewhat definitive, they have a good chance to win this game. I would call the odds fairly even at that point, certainly not plus seven to the Rams. Um, If Trubisky can move the ball hit those throws, look relaxed, and throw, you know, he's going to have to throw a couple. That's the bottom line in the NFL is any quarterback is going to have to throw a couple. And and that throw he that he threw to Broniker, the throw he made to Taylor Gabriel, that's a couple, right? And those accounted for a bunch of yards and, quite frankly, two touchdowns. So he's going to have to do that if he can replicate that performance against the Rams— The Bears have a puncher's chance on the road against what we all assumed would be a very tough out. If he doesn't, if he is, uh, for lack of a better term, bad Mitch uh, from the get-go, wastes an entire half before heating up in a two-minute drill, they might not be able to overcome the difference because the Rams' defense is, let's not call it lockdown, but it's pretty solid. Uh, they might not be able to climb over on the road, and they might end up losing by 3-5, whatever. Um, maybe not 7, but not going to happen if he doesn't light it up a couple of times. If they come out and score early and put pressure on, again, the defense plays very, very differently at that point. And if the Bears' defense starts to put the Rams' offense under significant pressure, I'm, I'm flipping my chips towards the Bears'.
0: Well, let's get to the next point, with the next key, and it's just actually something you'll look to. The Rams' defense actually is really good this year. So the Rams and the Bears' defense, uh, they are tied for fourth in defensive DVOA. They are just behind – well, not just behind. New England's defense and San Francisco's defense is far out in front of everybody. They are having incredible years. Pittsburgh's actually – Leapfrog the Bears and the Rams into third place. And Thank the you,
1: Bears Minka. And Rams are,
0: yep, absolutely. And the Bears and Rams are tied for fourth. And so these two teams that are coming in uh to play each other, both top five defenses. And so they're both really good. Now you can make the argument that the Rams offense has been, even though they've struggled, they've been much better than the Bears offense. And so that's probably where that seven points plus the home field advantage For the Rams comes into play, but my key number three is Bears defense has to say, "Ah, we don't think you're that good. We're the best defense on the field, and they've got to take over, and they've got to do that thing that the Erlacher defenses used to do, the Peanut Tillman defenses used to do, is, well, we're just going to win this game. We don't care what the offense does. We're going to take the ball away from you, and when we do that, we're going to score. And I think that's my number three key is that this defense has to want to step up to be one of those great defenses, take ownership, put the ball in the end zone.
1: Yeah, my key, it's a modified version. It's a 3A of your third key, which is Eddie Jackson has to come off the milk carton. This guy has been absolutely flat-out missing for most of the year. It's not like he's been solid and underappreciated. It's not like he's been really, really close to a bunch of game-changing players. The bottom line is he hasn't. And if Eddie Jackson gets his head out for whatever reason, finds the form he had last year, and I realize that's a tall order. The form he had last year was, look, it was basically all pro, Uh, It garnered him praise from the likes of Ed Reed and one Chuck Pagano, right? It had him compared to guys on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He's not played anything like that this year. It's not been like, oh, Eddie almost had another one, and oh, he got that play, and oh, if it was just an inch closer. Like, Eddie Jackson's been largely missing in action. And if Eddie Jackson grabs one of those picks, decides to turn on his return skills, and puts it in the end zone, this game tilts significantly in the Bears' favor. So, not only does the defense have to do all the basics, like you said, have very solid run fits. They had those against the Lions, which was great. Carry on Johnson was out, but they didn't let the Lions get any huge gains on the ground. They look very disciplined in their run fits. That was a plus. Um, you know, on top of that, Let's not have the OPI versus Kyle Fuller. And let's have Eddie Jackson come in and make a splash play. Four first fumble, interception, return for 35, 40 yards. Something like that that really gives the Bears some momentum on the road and sort of puts them over the top or gives them an extra boost in this game. I'd love to see it.
0: Yeah, I'm done with that. Uh, well, to, uh last thing. That I want to do is I we got called out last week. By the way, did we? Uh, yeah, we got called out. Someone said um, something to the effect of "Keep making the picks; it makes you sound scared."
1: Oh jeez, picks of all and the things we are. I don't think scared oof. is at the top of the list. Oof. so I mean, you drink peanut here's... butter porter and admit it. So scared is not where we're at. <laughs> so.
0: I think we should do picks if you want to. Sure, I'm down. And or I have silver linings playbook, which is what are the silver linings that you're looking for, even if things aren't going right. Sure. Let's do um, both.
1: Let's do both. Okay. We can totally do both.
0: So for me, um, the Bears aren't going to lose by more than seven in my mind. I think that line sucks. (laughs) I think they cover that. Uh, Well, how do you really feel, JB. (laughs) <laughs> well, I just that's a that's a tough line.
1: Seven it points. Is, a it is. It seems high They're to me. They're giving the Rams a lot of credit. You know me. I'm I, not a gambling guy, and that seems like an excessive line.
0: Yep. And so you know, we Sam Householder and I have been doing betting lines all year,
1: and and fairly and so, well. I might add. Congratulations. Uh, Sam's
0: been doing better than me at the bear stuff. The league stuff. I'm actually doing quite well on. I have like I'm like twelve games over five hundred, but. Yeah. um yeah, picking five a week for Q B list, I'm doing quite well. So I'm very proud of that. Now I've just jinxed myself. Absolutely. You're by going on 5 So so don't do not bet with me this week. Nope, but nope. but I will say that the Bears cover that. I do I, I don't think that they win this game, but I think that they keep it within seven.
1: Uh, I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna go for lightning strikes. Uh the Bears offense again sparks to life for a few drives, not the whole game, because look, we're we're realists, not optimists. They put up a few points. Defense contributes a couple of plays. I'm gonna go on record and say Khalil Mack finally finds his groove, gets a strip sack. We haven't seen one of those since like what week? Four? Uh been a while yeah. yeah four or five like khalil Mack finally figures out that arc gets to jared goff who as you alluded to not the most athletic guy not a, not a statue but not the most athletic guy and you no know, forces a fumble somebody like let's just go let's just go all the way Bilal Nichols recovers uh <laughs> okay sure why not let's be oddly very specific let's be oddly specific right and eddie jackson or fuller or prince of Mucamara god forbid catches a ball right and goes the other way for a few yards again at least setting up a field goal possibly a touchdown if the offense is kind of sparking tariq cohen found some life last week he seemed a little bit more properly used and quite frankly explosive he did score right um the one thing that really sort of bugs me about the bears offense is they don't seem to be able to do the lateral stuff behind the line effectively. They don't have their players moving forward when they catch the ball. The difference between Nagy's offense and almost everybody else in the league is when that swing backer or, um, sort of bubble screen guy catches the ball moving forward in Nagy's offense. He's almost always moving sideways when he catches that ball and he gets tackled for, you know, subsequently, a yard gain or two yard gain. Everybody else seems to be attacking that sort of mid gap. I'd like to see a little bit more of that, but the bears, they get a couple of lucky bounces. They get the defense contributing. The offense contributes a little bit and they beat the, they beat the Rams on the road. Let's say by three.
0: All right, there you have it. We made our picks. So no more coward calls on us. We, we, we.
1: <laughs> well, you can call us
0: cowards, but not for that but not for that. All right. So let's get to the Bears. Uh, the Mocha Merlin, Firestone Walker, it's really good. Uh, I like Milk stats; They're usually pretty smooth. Um, but this one has a really good balance of chocolate and coffee. Uh, so it's not some of the times when you see coffee, it, it kind of overwhelms coffee. And if you're into coffee, great. But that's that, it's not generally what I'm looking for in a beer. So I don't, I don't want a little of it, but I don't want it to be, like, so heavy that it just kind of knocks out. Uh, but chocolate really balances that out. Uh, it's a nice kind of a chocolate milk kind of deal there. And- yeah, definitely would drink that again. And it's a nice little celebration for beating the Lions.
1: What about you? Uh, Founders, Underground Mountain Brown um, is everything as advertised. It is imperial, which means high alcohol, beware. Um, Sumatra coffee, yep, you taste that on the very first sip on your lips. Uh, it, it doesn't go anywhere. That note is very present through all of it. Is it overpowering? It's not and it's balanced kind of fortunately or unfortunately by that aged in bourbon barrels, which contributes again to that Imperial sort of alcohol, um, a little bit sweeter, a lot of, a lot of kick. Um, if you really dig, uh, like Irish coffee, which is you get up in the morning, you make yourself coffee, you drop a little whiskey in it because, hey, the day is just going to be that way. Like, this is a beer for you. It's, it's warm. It's a bit heavy. Um, not too much on the head. Again, very dark in color, but it is full of that bourbon note, the coffee note. It, it doesn't pull its punches. Um, in alcohol, either. And um, it's delicious. Is it sessionable? I would say no. <laughs> um, is it delicious and wonderful as a sort of um, counterpoint if you love coffee and beer? Yes. Absolutely. So um, always track our work on Windy City Gridiron. Check out the other great podcasts we have with Lester Wilfong, Robert Smith, um, Bill Zimmerman, which is a fantastic ad. Um, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Gridironborn. You can follow the podcast at Bears Over Beers, not surprising. Me at The Draftsman FB. And, you know, feel free to call me names because, hey, everybody's already broken that seal this week. But until then, look forward to the Rams. Um, Pretend you're going to the game because, hey, if I could, I would take a shot in sunny Los Angeles. Seems like uh, visiting fans have kind of a pass there. Um, There's been a running joke about uh, the balance of fans in the Rams slash Chargers Stadium. And until then, hey, stay with this team. They're still turning it out and figuring it out. And if they do they could make it really interesting down the stretch. Until then, go ahead and bear down.